Well, good morning. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at Truro. If you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open it to John chapter 17. Or you can open to John 17 in, your, in the Pew Bibles. What page is that on? I was supposed to write that down beforehand so I could tell you. Old fashioned race. 903. All right, page 903. John chapter 17. That's where we are this morning. We'll pick up where Bishop Chris left off last week with verse 6 of what is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer. It's the prayer recorded in the gospel according to John that Jesus prays for his disciples right before he's arrested and tried before Pontius Pilate and then executed on a cross. As Bishop Chris noted last week, these are among Jesus' last words, and last words matter, so we ought to pay attention. About a month and a half ago at Truro's men's retreat, I started my final teaching session by asking a question I was first asked probably 15 years ago. What would you do with your life if you weren't afraid? Have you heard that question before? What would you do with your life if you weren't afraid? I think it's a really good question. Because I think generally our lives are dominated by fear. Whether we realize it or not. Fear of failure. Fear of rejection. Fear of the unknown. Fear of disappointment or disappointing others. Fear of pain or fear of loss. Fear of what others think of us or don't think of us. These fears drive us. They control the narratives we tell ourselves about ourselves and about others and about the world. They control the choices we make or we don't make, the way we interact or don't with others, the way they control the way that we think about and relate even to God. You might tell yourself that your life isn't dominated by your fears or at least influenced by them, I think that's probably a lie. It's why we don't take risks, or when we do, they're thoroughly hedged. NBA superstar and multiple-time MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo, is that how you say his name? You all know who I'm talking about, the 6'11 point guard center for the Milwaukee Bucks. Two-time MVP, finals MVP. I recently read a quote. He, says, he said this. He said, I'm not as talented as Steph Curry. I'm not as talented as Kevin Durant. I am so incredibly desperate. I'm obsessed and so I work as hard as I possibly can because I don't want to lose this. Giannis names it. He is deathly afraid. And his fear drives him. It controls him. We're all afraid almost all the time. Jesus knows this. I love how Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it in the Jesus Storybook Bible. Jesus calms the storm after his disciples freak out. 
And he turns to his disciples in the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones has him say it. Jesus says, why did you believe your fears instead of me? I think this is why Jesus prays the way that he does in John 17. And it's why John records this prayer in his gospel account. Jesus, he knows that there is much to be afraid of. He knew that there would be much for his disciples to be afraid of. After all, they've spent three years now walking with him, watching him, participating in miracle after miracle under increasing threat from all the powers that would be. And now Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be tried. He's going to be executed. And then he's going to ascend to the Father. And he's going to leave his disciples behind. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to be sure, but the disciples have no idea what that's going to be like. And they're going to be invited and challenged and called to continue his work in a world that's hostile to it. For his disciples, everything is about to change. And life is about to get really challenging for them. There will be much to be anxious about, much to fear, much unknown, and a not insignificant amount of suffering. Of course, his disciples will be afraid. It would be crazy not to be afraid. And this is why Jesus prays the way that he does in John 17. And it's why this particular prayer is recorded for us here in John. It's a prayer for disciples who would be afraid. In that, it's also a prayer for us. The 13 verses that we have before us today, there are a billion rabbit trails that we can take. And so for the sake of brevity and clarity, we're going to take a look at four verbs that Jesus riffs on in his final prayer. All right, two verbs that speak to the disciples' context and two that speak to their calling. They're verbs that speak specifically and directly to our fears and verbs that ought to provide perspective, that ought to encourage us, that ought to challenge us. So let's take a look together here. Starting with verses 6, we'll look all the way up to verse 10. Jesus prays, I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. They believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine and I am glorified in them. I didn't want to take a guess what the first verb is. Give! Y'all are so smart. That's fantastic. That's right. Give. It turns up five times here in these five verses, if I counted right. Maybe it's six. And that's not counting the words associated with give, like received and yours and mine. We see here in these first verses, give, 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 give. The Father gives to the Son. The Son uh, the Father gives the truth to the Son, which the Son gives to us, which we receive. And it all feels rather convoluted. So let me try to simplify things with one obvious observation, if that's okay. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you belong to Jesus. 
If you're a disciple of Jesus, you belong to Jesus. That's what it means when Jesus prays, the Father has given my disciples to me. It means disciples of Jesus belong to him. Or as Paul would write later in 1 Corinthians, you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. You're bought at a price. Jesus says it right here, clear as day. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. For these early disciples, with a thousand and one reasons to be afraid, given their context, which Jesus clearly names here as the world, right? That's their context. This would have been such a relief. You belong to the very one that death itself could not hold. The very son of God, who's so much bigger and mightier than all of our fears. And if you're one of his disciples, you belong to him. It's not going to make the fears or anxieties go away. Jesus says that here too, right? That there is still much to be afraid of. Suffering, it's not going to go away. The devil, he's not going to mysteriously disappear. You'll still be hated. Jesus says all of that. But it's put in perspective. You belong to Jesus. Suffering, there will be plenty of it. Hardship, hatred, threats from the enemy, plenty of it. But you're not your own. You belong to Jesus. Our first verb is give. Disciples of Jesus belong to Jesus. Second, disciples of Jesus will be kept by God. Our second verb is kept. Look with me here, starting at verse 11. Find my spot. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. There it is. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them, but that you keep them from the evil one. The world can be a scary place, and there is much to fear, not the least of which is the hatred of a world that doesn't understand the ways of Jesus, which Jesus prays right here in verse 14, and the devil himself right here in verse 15. Interestingly enough, the prayer isn't that we would escape or that we'd avoid hatred or suffering or hardship or fear or that we'd figure some way out of it of our own accord, but that we'd be kept by God in the midst of it and that we'd be kept in unity. We might be one as the Father and the Son are one. What comfort in the face of fear? First, just naming the reality of fear. Jesus does that here in the prayer. He names that the world is a terrifying place full of hardship and hatred and suffering. That God does have an enemy who prowls about. This takes some of the power out of it, just saying it. We're not ignoring the fact that the world is hard or that suffering is just part of it. We're naming it. Jesus is naming it. He knows it. He's about to experience it himself. 
the realities of the world, they're not an oversight on his part. And that puts things in perspective. Second, what comfort that Jesus prays his disciples will be kept, preserved, and guarded in the face of all they will face and that we might face. Not that they'll escape it or avoid it, but kept in it and through it, preserved in the face of it. Though the storms may surge about us, though the winds might swirl, Jesus prays and the anchor will hold. And lastly, friends, we're kept together. We see it right here, verse 11. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Friends, we're kept as one, even as the Father and the Son are one. We're not in this alone, but together as a body, in union with the triune God himself. And so we can face our fears, knowing that in Christ we are not facing them alone. First, give. Second, kept. Both verbs of comfort given the context in which Jesus is leaving his disciples behind. That is a broken world plagued by all sorts of hardships. Next, we turn to our third verb, which speaks of calling. This verb is sanctify. Somebody already set it down here. You all know just where I'm going. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, Jesus prays, in the truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate them. For their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. Jesus already has prayed that they wouldn't be taken out of the world. There's no escapism here, and Jesus prays it again. He doesn't endorse withdrawal to a safe holy huddle. Rather, he prays that we would be sanctified even as we are kept. So let's define our term here for a moment. Jesus is praying that we would be set apart, that we'd be made holy and for a special purpose. That's what he means here by sanctified in the Father. Not separate, but different. Purposeful. Now look at this. This is important. God is the actor here. He's the one who sanctifies, not us. He's the one who sets us apart for the work that he's given us to do. He's the one who prepares us for it, who sets us aside for it, who makes us holy for it. The disciples would almost certainly be overwhelmed at times by the calling on their lives in the days and years to come. Likewise, friends, there will be times when you and I are overwhelmed, when we fear that what God is asking of us is just too much for us, when it seems too scary or difficult to obey or to go where God sends us, and that may all very well be true. It may seem like too much. But friends, we have been sanctified by God specifically, set apart for a purpose, for him to do the work that he's given us to do. We've been made holy. We see that uh, purpose right here in our fourth verb. Anybody want to guess? Fourth verb? Sent. That's right. Sent. Give, kept, sanctified, and sent. Verse 18, Jesus prays, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. 
in seminary, I literally spent an entire semester studying this, the mission of God. But for the sake of brevity and clarity, we'll keep our discussion of this simple and straightforward. Is that okay? Last week, as Bishop Chris preached on the first part of Jesus' prayer, he reminded us that Jesus was sent for a purpose, that we might see and know God. In this part of the prayer, Jesus adds a part two, that we might also be sent as he was sent. And if Jesus was sent, that we might see and know God, then it follows that we, likewise, have been sent for the same purpose, that others may see and know God. Friends, the giving, the keeping, and the sanctifying, it all leads to the sending. That's the purpose of it. We're, we belong to Jesus for a purpose. We're kept by God for a purpose. We're set apart, sanctified for a purpose, and that purpose is the sending of God's church into the world that Jesus might be known. That's it. There's no doubt that this can be intimidating, which is why Jesus prays first for the giving and the keeping and the sanctifying. It all has a purpose. Friends, God has a mission, which is given to his church. He's given to us. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, that others may see and know God. And friends, this is not a mission just for bishops and for priests and for deacons. This sentness, it's for any and all followers of Jesus. It's what we're sanctified for. It's the purpose of the sanctification. It's the reason we're kept. It's the great desire of the gift giver, the one to whom we belong, that others might know God. We, the people of God, let me say it again, are sent. Now, I'm living this in a unique way right now, as I'm literally being sent by Truro in the coming months to send a new church, to start a new church, that more people might come to know and follow Jesus. That's it. That's the purpose. And I have no doubt that some of you will be called by God to join me in that. And you will literally be sent. To say that it leaves me feeling a little bit anxious and overwhelmed would be an understatement. To leave this comfortable place that I love dearly, a place my family loves, to take this sort of risk well, let me just say that I need Jesus' prayer right now. But the truth is, if we, the people of God, are to live into our calling, into our vocation as disciples of Jesus, then we, all of us, as the church universal and as individual disciples of God, are sent all the time. Friends, we're kept and sanctified for this very purpose, sent as Jesus was, in order that we might know God and make him known. Some of you might have heard me use this quote before, but it's worth repeating. FDR once said that courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. Let me say that again. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. For the Christian, 
for the disciple of Jesus that something that is more important than fear is the very mission and purpose of God. That we might go as the Father sent his Son bearing witness to the kingdom of God made manifest in his only Son, Jesus Christ, who came into the world that all might be made new, who lived and who died on a cross, was resurrected for the forgiveness of sins, the one who gave us his spirit that we might participate in his mission and who promises to come again. And so we belong to God. We're kept by God. We're not alone in it. We've been sanctified for it, and Jesus died for it. So let's go. Let's go. As our teenagers would say, let's go! Because there's a world that needs to hear it. That's how my kids say it all the time. So let's end here. Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. To love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, thank you that you meet us in our fears. That you pray for us in them. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit now would remind us that we, are, that we belong to you, that we're kept by you, we've been sanctified for a purpose and sent that others might know God and make you known. We pray all of these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs>